0: To the Denver Stiff Show, I am your host Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Thursday night as I am recording. Uh, several teams are playing tonight. Not the Nuggets. We have a, a rare off day. It's what seems it, the Nuggets are going to play four games in six nights over this uh, over this recent stretch. Actually, no, they already did. They played four games in six nights. They'll they'll complete a five-game, eight-day road trip uh tomorrow night Friday against the San Antonio Spurs that is a trap game for the, all those involved so just keep in mind that Denver going 4-0 and uh it could it could turn to 4-1 and real quick against the team that's playing real well in the Spurs so just keep that in mind before you get your hopes up too high uh Speaking of not getting your hopes up too high, I, I have a, a very averaged guest uh, coming on to the show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm just kidding. Uh, he is the King of Thornton, host of the CSG podcast, uh, Colorado Sports Guys. Make sure to go check that out. And OG Stiff and my good friend, Jeff Morton. Jeff, uh, how, how do you feel about that tepid intro?
1: It was great. It was It was befitting my stature. Is what it was, uh, but I,
0: interesting. I, I, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you know, it's, it, it, you were just uh, you're just bringing that up on uh, on uh, your the the games going on and the the fact that the Nuggets just had uh, four games and six nights. Um, I think the Nuggets just need to have. Complete 100% adversity against them in order for them to function just as a unit, because I think when they got it easy, when they got it easy, they just, they just, for some reason they don't function. So um, good for them for going into the the most difficult part of their schedule with with a five game winning streak.
0: Sure. Yeah. We'll just, we'll just take it. Like they, they screwed around with the early games. Uh, They lost to two games against Sacramento at the beginning of the season, including that awful, awful season opener, uh, so that thing is—it's—it's it's so weird that that was a game that happened this season because this team feels so much different right now than they were back then. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. is coming off the bench, though he looks incredible. Jamichael Green is back; they haven't lost a game with Jamichael Green yet. Uh, every everything just feels different, right?
1: It does. It's—I uh, I don't know who to credit, but. I'll be honest with you. Nicole Jokic has had, had a, a monster year. I'm sure we'll get to that later. But uh, Jermichael Green could be the MVP of his team. Yeah. Because he has fundamentally altered the way they were going as soon as he came in uh, because things started. And I think some guys are like that. Um, I think Danilo Gallinari was kind of like that from the Nuggets back in the day. Uh, he, he wasn't the best guy, but he made everything work. And right. it seems like Jermichael Green... Just makes everything work for the Nuggets, and that is that is you need guys like that on your roster because those guys are like uh, I hate using the term glue guys, but in reality, uh, it seems very much like J. Michael Green is a glue guy on this team, and those guys you know are worth their weight in gold.
0: I was listening to uh, to Adam and Matt talk on Locked On today, and and they mentioned that there was a lack of appreciation for a skill set like Jamaica Green's mm-hmm. in the in the Clippers organization. And and I tend to agree that a guy like that, who does everything, he's a guy who I, I feel very comfortable about uh, with the ball in his hands. Uh, when he's on the court defensively, when he's getting ready to rise for a shot, I feel very comfortable with whatever he's about to do, except for maybe right. posting up. Like that, that that I'll say is, has been a little hit or miss. But like, other than that, like he has just been so great at everything. It's really taken me by surprise. Are, are, I was going to ask, are you more surprised with with his performance or Monte Morris? But I, I tend to think that it's Jermichael
1: Green, right? I think it's more Jermichael Green. You know who, who Jermichael Green reminds me of? and And a who? kind of... Uh, not not quite as good version of Horace Grant uh, hmm. okay Horace Grant was also a glue guy for the Bulls and the uh, the magic when he went there and uh, he kind of has that Horace Grant thing with me um, a guy that just does a little bit of everything and what he does is demonstrably positive so yeah. That was 100%. The, the, the Bulls are just were not the, the same team without Horace Grant on there. Of course, later they got Dennis Robin, but Horace Grant was a different kind of animal. Uh, and he really is one of those guys that made the triangle work. And it seems like Jermichael Green makes whatever the Nuggets are doing work in that kind of Horace Grant kind of way. Of course, Jeremy Grant's uncle, you know.
0: Yeah. Hey, actually, I I, you say that, and I honestly didn't even make that connection. But it really does make sense that like Mm -hmm. there there is something to be said for for players of that archetype that really impact the way teams play and really impact the way teams can win. And that's one of the reasons why Jeremy Grant was such a big deal for this Nuggets team, or at least the way that I thought he was going to be a like kind of filling into that role. He's clearly shown that he's more than a role player in Detroit. But I tend to think that. You need guys, especially around stars, you need guys that are willing to both seed to the background and, and and step out of the spotlight, but are also comfortable stepping into the spotlight and showing off of their skills and making sure that everything that they do is appreciated because they have their hand in everything. And Jamichael Green feels like that. He, he ran a DHO with Nikola Jokic and passed it to Michael Porter Jr. Uh, in the Miami mm-hmm. game. He's been hitting like 48% from three or something absurd. Uh, he continues to play defense at an incredible level at both power forward and center. It's just been very impressive.
1: Well, he is, to me, the guy that has kind of made everything work in, you know, the the Malone way. He needed a guy like Jermichael Green, right. uh, who's who's not Jeremy Grant. I, I mean, let's 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 throw this out here. He's not Jeremy Grant. He doesn't have the same skill set. Um, they're ostensibly playing the same position, even though I would say Jeremy Grant's more of a three than a four. Um, he is giving them something that they desperately needed to start the year when their defense was so bad. He's just making everything that, that he, when he's in there, he's just making everything make sense. And like I said, you know, a couple minutes ago, it, it, guys like that are really worth their weight in gold.
0: I, I like the Danilo Gallinari comp. I think it's it's some sort of blend between him and Wilson Chandler, mm-hmm. uh, just because there there is some physicality there. There is some hey, I'm gonna work with every lineup kind of kind of deal with like like how Chandler really interacted with that 2013 Nuggets team and beyond. So it's been really great. Uh, it's also been really helpful because uh, I think the starters have looked really tired over the course yeah. of this this road trip. And they've had to carry a heavy load. Michael Malone likes to play his starters a lot of minutes, especially together. Uh, and I think we've seen that borne out in, in third quarters over the course of this road trip, is that they just get kind of exhausted and they need to pick me up from the bench. And Michael Porter Jr. has been helpful there. Jermichael Green has been helpful there. But a lot of it is because Will Barton and, and Paul Millsap especially, uh, the other starters too, but Will Barton and Paul Millsap especially have, have looked pretty exhausted
1: yeah um i if exhausted uh particularly in the case of Millsap, you really mean old um <laughs> because i wasn't gonna
0: i wasn't gonna go there but like he, he he doesn't need to play back-to-backs anymore i think we've learned that pretty clearly
1: you know it's funny i always make this comparison when we're talking about guys who are hitting that kind of that old wall right um Allen Iverson was like that Allen Iverson suddenly. And it was, it was one of the more interesting and it was why the trademark work team made to get Chauncey Billups uh, was so brilliant. Um, he, he had seen that Iverson suddenly hit a wall and he couldn't do what he used to do. And it happened between the off season of 2008 playoffs between the and then when the season started and it was dramatic and then they made that trade immediately. But guys like that tend to hit walls and, and, and Paul Millsap uh, is more athletic than a lot of different players. And I think what happens is it's just like when age comes, I can say personally as a, as a fellow old um, it just happens and it just happens suddenly. And then suddenly mm-hmm. you just can't do the shit that you used to do. Pardon my French.
0: Oh, you're fine. You're fine. Um, yeah, I, I see that a lot with, with some of the moves that he makes, some of the, the rotations he tries to make on defense. A lot of it is he's, he's getting into the body of guys when, when he's on defense and, and they're already off the ground. Uh, he's had trouble boxing out on rebounds and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are definitely some things, that, that fundamental things, that it doesn't feel like he is capable of doing anymore. And I, I think it's hurting the team. Uh, I, I don't know if if Malone's going to actually make a change there, but like I, I tend to think that it really has been helpful that Jamichael Green has been around because he's replaced a lot of those same glue guy tendencies that Millsap brought to the Nuggets when he first arrived.
1: Yeah, and do you, do you think? I mean, did, did, I wonder if you noticed the same thing. I there was a stretch, and I believe it was that second Phoenix game where he completely didn't had, uh, Millsap had no idea where to be on the offensive end. And there was just completely botched possession. And then on the other end, he ends up shoving uh, a, a, a Phoenix three-point shooter, who I, f- I forget who was shooting it, just randomly shoving him because he couldn't make up the ground anymore. Yeah, And I was like, ooh. And I did a podcast on it last week. And it was like, it, it occurred to me at that moment that he is hitting that wall. Now, I think you can preserve him and extend him out if you don't play him on back to backs. But that would require Malone doing something that he never does, and that's that's the gamble you take. There is like, you know, is is Malone going to start doing stuff like that? Start staggering? Just start doing things that he hasn't been doing so far? That um, you're really just depending on that at that point.
0: Well, here's, here's the problem that, that I think he's facing right now. And it's, it's like twofold, threefold. There are a lot of layers to this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, independent of the Michael Porter Jr. factor, which we'll talk about soon. Right. Um, it's really easy to rest somebody when they're coming off the bench because you you usually play them 10 to 20 minutes in that general range. It's not expected that they're going to be in the rotation and, and be a consistent factor every single night. Uh, I think it would make a lot of sense to rest him from the bench. The problem is that Jermichael Green has really entrenched himself as so valuable with that bench unit to bridge the gap from when Nikola Jokic sits to when Nikola Jokic comes back in. And having that opportunity to make up ground or even gain ground when Jokic isn't even off the floor is just such a luxury that most teams don't have. It's something that Michael Malone, I'm sure, is very, very happy about, that that combination of Monte Morris, Michael Porter Jr., and Jamichael Green have really steadied things with that bench unit. They're they're the three guys that he trusts the most off the bench, and they might be numbers three, four, and five in some order, and guys that he trusts overall. Uh, Gary Harris is probably in there at some point as well, but, like, it certainly feels like he is balancing between what he knows, Michael Malone, uh, and that is the the OG starting lineup of of Murray Harris, Barton, Milsap, Jokic. I put out some numbers earlier today that that lineup is good. Don't get me wrong. Like that's that's a really good lineup. But when when Barton and Milsap are off the floor and Murray Harris and Jokic are on the floor with anybody else, the team just they go ham. They go, they go gangbusters in right. terms of how effective they are on both sides of the floor. So I, I tend to see that, that there is, there is some holding back there in terms of what the nuggets can do and have been able to do with those guys in the fold.
1: Well, it was interesting when you think about it, uh, Ryan, Will Barton started off really well. Yeah. And uh, in, yeah. against uh, the heat and then basically did absolutely nothing the rest of the game. In fact, he didn't score a single point the rest of the game. He had 10 points in the first first quarter and then did not score again. And there was a stretch in the third quarter where he was legitimately atrocious. Um, And I'm willing to forgive that with players. I I I think Will Barton gets um, um, far too much crap from Nuggets fans. Um, I think he is good for what he does. I think sometimes too much is asked of him. And I think that is where things break down. I mean, as far as Millsap goes, I don't think Millsap is as much of a linchpin as people think that he is because he, I'm not even sure what he was bringing before as, as far as defense, he can even do anymore. I just, I, I'm not seeing he can do it in bursts, but he can't do it all game long. And that is what right. I'm I've been seeing this year is that he has taken a dramatic step, um, just lost a step, I should say. And I think that part is affecting everything. When you're talking about resting, when you're talking about bringing guys off the bench, um, sometimes a bench looks more effective because some, you, you see a, a positional um, um, kind of a, a, a excellence that we've been seeing uh, from right. to Michael Green. And it looks uh, really good, maybe because, by and large, we haven't been getting much, if anything, from Paul Millsap this year. Um, Now, it's a tough position to be in. I don't mind him starting, but I do think that maybe approaching the starting lineup a little differently in terms of, like I said, start staggering and maybe – Play. And this was the idea I had in my podcast was playing Paul Millsap about four minutes to start the game and then bring him in, you know, have him play when Jokic plays with the bench unit and do that stuff. Bring him in in spots, play him at max 20 minutes, because I think Millsap, if he's rested and ready, can give you good minutes in the playoffs. Um, but as it's going right now, it's just it's almost sad because I, I just think he's He's trying to do what he used to do, and he can't. And that's 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 been kind of sad for me to watch.
0: One of the projects that I've really undertaken this year in terms of uh, just trying to know the Nuggets better and trying to figure out what, what Malone's tendencies are, I've been tracking every rotation that he has done game by game uh, via a template that I use that I post to Twitter. Mm-hmm. And he so far has been very consistent with how he has played Paul Millsap. He yep. plays them in the first six to eight minutes of the first quarter, depending on how well he's playing. Uh, it's, it's never less than that. Uh, it's, it's never under six minutes. Everything is always over six minutes. Uh, and sometimes like there, there were a couple of times where the starters were really good in the OKC game, for example, and they played right. 11 straight minutes and then they didn't have to play again, but then he plays, he plays the first six to eight minutes of the first and third quarter the last five to six minutes of the second quarter and then never plays in the fourth quarter. I think he's actually suited up for just three fourth quarters so far this year. Right. So that's one of the reasons why his minutes are down. Uh, he plays about 20 minutes every game. I think that's about the right amount of time, maybe right. slightly less if he was coming off the bench and and doing so in like eight minute stints in the, in the first, second, third, fourth quarter or so. But I, I do think that, some sort of change needs to be made to get JaMichael Green more time with the starting unit. He has been so impactful next to Nikola Jokic. Jokic trusts him with his life already. Uh, that's pretty clear. Uh, and it it might make the bridge easier for Michael Porter Jr. I think if if he was playing next to Jamichael Green, somebody that can really cover for his weaknesses. They really play well together. They're very versatile. And I think that, that that's probably the way that Denver should be approaching this. What would you do? Well, I, oh, uh, go ahead. Go
1: ahead. No, no I was going to say, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, um, that lineup in the fourth quarter with Jokic, Murray, uh, Gary Harris, MPJ, and Jermichael Green was so good. Absolutely so good in that stretch in the fourth quarter where they basically put their foot on the neck. Of the Miami Heat, the depleted Miami Heat, um, it was a sight to behold. They were legitimately—I'm well, I'm not going to say awe-inspiring because that'd be dumb—but <laughs> it, it was it, it was legitimately um, stunning to see how just how in sync they were. And it's and it's interesting to me to to see how. I mean, we can we're, we'll talk about uh, MPJ later. But there is there is an aspect of him that I th- I th- I think works well with Jermichael Green, as you pointed out. Those two have a s- symbiotic kind of relationship for guys who really did not play together until four games ago. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. It's that's one of the that's one of the big factors from this Nugget season was that not having Jermichael Green for December, and then not having Michael Porter for the next 10 games. It really, we, we never saw what Denver's final form could be. And I think right. there is definitely an argument that it could be Porter Green and Jokic playing mm-hmm. that three, four and five uh, and, and helping Denver get through some games and, and they match up reasonably well with some of the best teams in the NBA based off of how, how talented they are with that group. Now, my question to you is if they move those guys into the starting lineup, does your alarm bell go off for the bench unit at that point? Like, like what happens with that group? If, if Barton and Millsap are struggling to score and to play next to Nikola Jokic, then what happens if you take Nikola Jokic out of the equation?
1: I'm, I'm going to uh, use, I I, I I often quote George Carl um, in these podcasts, but I, I got to go back to the well here. George in about 2009, the 2009-10 season, after Ty Lawson was drafted, discovered that the second unit played completely different from the first unit.
0: Right.
1: Uh, the Nuggets' first unit by then was actually a probably a mid-paced team, uh, largely due to Chauncey, and they were not that run-and-gun Nuggets team you saw with Iverson and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that second unit came in, and they were blazing fire. And they were they played fundamentally different from the second unit, so it was like a complete change of pace um, from the first unit. Um, I think one of the problems the Nuggets have had going back to when they traded for Mason Plumley was they have often tried to duplicate Nikola Jokic um, and his actions, so at least at least do a kind of a simulation of his actions in the second unit. Where I think in hindsight, and I was agreeing with it at the time, but in hindsight that was a mistake because you can't duplicate what Jokic does. Right. Um, it's just not something that you can you can do. So my idea would be to go all all in on offense in the second unit, would be to have Faku Kampaso, have uh um Ziknashi, have Ooh. um uh Uh, Hampton, RJ Hampton, have guys like that out there um, who will just run and gun and leave it all out there like that. Because Kampasso is going to at least always try on defense, right? He's not always going to be effective, but he's going to try. I think Zieg is an underrated potential defender. Um, I think at this point, Bowl is only going to be getting – Garbage minutes. I don't know what your stance is on Bull Bowl, Bowl, but yeah. I I am not thinking that he's going to be getting any substantial minutes this year.
0: Yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, he he's such an enigma, and he has to have certain things specified around him that I don't think the Nuggets are just they're just not going to really be able to do that. Yeah. Um, one thing that I do think that Denver should be exploring is that if they are going to move Michael Porter into the starting lineup, they don't necessarily have to play all of his minutes next to Jokic, next to Murray. They could also stagger him with some minutes with the bench and, and have him operate in that mindset where he can still play his run and gun mentality. He can still have other players defer to him where, where he continues to play with a group like that. Um, I like your idea of, of including RJ Hampton when PJ Dozier comes back, I, m- I might include him in there as well, just All because right. he, he is, he's a, a defensive kind of like savior in terms of how much effort he could put into that, that group and, and potentially make some impact. But, uh, I could see them going with, uh, for the time being, like if let's say they were to make a starting lineup to change tomorrow, which they won't, uh, I have no idea when it's going to happen, but, uh, I I would start Murray, Harris, Porter, Green, and Jokic and work on that lineup's chemistry together. And then I would put Faku, Monte, Barton, stagger Michael Porter Jr. with the four and then put Paul Millsap at the five um, or just not play Paul Millsap at all and go with Isaiah Hartenstein.
1: Hmm. I was going to ask you about that. I'm sorry, I'm I'm drinking decaf black tea. Ooh, I found that okay. when I do podcasts, it helps my voice because I don't know if you've had this problem. My voice has been giving out on me. I've been doing so many damn podcasts. <laughs> my, my you need a sponsorship. Is... You need you need
0: somebody to pay you money to say that. That
1: seems like that I, seems like
0: a great idea. Maybe I feel like
1: Lip, I Lipton. <laughs> yeah, I do. Hey, Lipton, if you're listening, all right, don't 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 advertise on the Denver Civ Show. Uh, advertise with the CSU podcast, okay? Oh, uh, but, but anyway, <laughs> um Isaiah Hartenstein, I want to ask you about him because I I think he's buried, man. Yeah, I think it's he's been buried. weird.
0: Like I I like what he provided. I just mm-hmm. think that it's it's really tough when you foul the hell out of everybody uh, when you're in there because one of the reasons why Denver would struggle in the fourth quarter when a guy like Isaiah Hartenstein was out there was because the other team was already in the bonus by the time Nicole Jokic got back into the game. This was a trend that they had with Mason Plumlee. This was a trend that they had with Torrey Craig, uh, Michael Porter when he, when he was a little bit less uh, less brash. Like he, he was more brash when he when he was a rookie. Like those guys would foul a ton, and mm-hmm. and it would put Denver's starting lineup in a real quandary because they didn't have an opportunity to, like they they're always giving up free points anytime they fouled after that. So. It's, you know, it's tough. Thing... Like I, I, yeah, I just ahead. I do I do like Isaiah Hartenstein. He does have yeah. some problems though. I think if they space the floor with like Michael Porter Jr. next
1: to him at the four, then like there there are some ways that they could make that work. Well, let me let me throw this out there. I think I think you can always tell when a when a player doesn't have confidence. Um it, it comes across on the basketball court more than it does in any other, I think, sport uh in, in the United States. It is a it's you can't hide on a five-man team. And what right. I've seen from Isaiah Hartenstein is that he that looks to me like he has a zero confidence. He's very nice and a very supportive guy. Um, he's great on the bench mob, But I can see that when he's out on the court, there's a lack of confidence there that, that causes him to foul at a prodigious rate. Like, I thought Mason Plumley fouled a lot. But yeah, uh, Isaiah Hartenstein is uh, takes the cake. And a Mason Plumlee does from...
0: foul a lot. By the way, he actually leads the NBA in personal fouls right now. I just thought <laughs> you ought to let to let you know there. <laughs>
1: that's, that's that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. <laughs> you would just do, and the, and they were and they were always these slap fouls, which I just stop.
0: The worst. But... It, it was it was the <laughs> and, you know the one that really annoyed me the most was the backcourt foul where he took the intentional foul by like hacking somebody in the backcourt, which doesn't send a message at all. And just, it literally hurts the nuggets more than it helps anybody else. It was just so bad,
1: (laughs) so bad. Yeah. You know, and, and, and Hartenstein doesn't do that now he is hindered. And this is where the confidence comes in. He was buried in uh, Houston too. Um, He had a good game against the nuggets last year. if I remember correctly, Uh, and uh, you know, of course, all Houston players had good games against the Nuggets last year but there is a what i found then was that you know when when a player gets buried either they either they come back ultra motivated like i don't think michael porter junior is going to lose a ton of confidence right from getting he's just he's just built confident yeah, it's, uh, just, I think, it's, it's I, just
0: ingrained I, into him at this point.
1: Yes. I think I, Isaiah Hartenstein is uh, not built that way. And I think that is why he gets these. And I and I don't I, – what, what the problem was when he was out there is just that the Nuggets were so bad, so bad in that second unit.
0: And you know it wasn't really his fault either. Like yeah. I, I tend to think like he actually has one of the best net ratings on the team, and and right. it just it just felt that way sometimes because they would go through these really tough runs where uh, Faku wouldn't really get get around anybody, or or it was a rare time where. Uh, P.J. Dozier was was turning the ball over a little bit too much or when Isaiah finally got the the ball in his hands, he would he would brick a layup or foul in the backcourt because he was trying to fight for a a loose ball or something like Mm -hmm. that. And and things just stack like that. But if you give somebody like that an opportunity to play in a situation where they're going to be force fed opportunities and they're going to be put in a really, really good position as opposed to a really bad position. Then I think it might I think it might work. I think if you if you give him Faku, if you give him Monte, if you give an MPJ at the four, you, just so much spacing and so much athleticism. Uh well, uh, with with Porter and Hartenstein, like he's an athletic dude too. He can get up and down the floor, he dunks really well. Like, like there's there's some things that he can do blocking the ball that that I, I think about Jokic. I think, oh, there's no way that Jokic could do that. Like Hartenstein mm-hmm. can do so many really athletic things that he just needs to get his head on straight, and he could be a really impactful piece for Denver off the bench. I just don't see it right now.
1: I don't either, and I think they're going to go with this small lineup. This is why I'm kind of disappointed they're not playing Zeke Nagy more. I'll be honest with you, because I think even though he's a rookie, I think he can provide some athleticism in that second unit, and this as second unit right now is severely lacking, I think, some of that um yeah. they're they're lacking range if Porter's not out there. Um yeah, like to that, be fair, if, like if like not,
0: Michael Green if if Porter and Jermichael Green are out there, I don't feel yeah.
1: like they need Zeke Naji.
0: Like that's that's no, what I'll say. They do not. But if they plan on making a move, if they, if they if they plan on putting Paul Millsap at center or Millsap at power forward and Isaiah Hartenstein at center, that's uh that's a little bit more dangerous. So I, I do get what you're saying. I I like Zeke and I think that he could give them some good minutes.
1: Yeah, and I don't think, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, uh, Manu Ginobili minutes. I'm talking like, you know, good spot minutes to where he can, like, contribute. You know, the the, the most popular player on uh, any roster is the guy that never gets out there. That is yes. yeah, that is true. That is, true. That is <laughs> just like the old backup quarter thing. The quarterback thing is the uh quarterback's always the most popular guy on the roster. Um and that's true with here because people like that unknown. It's like Bull Bull, inexplicably, for a guy who's really done nothing, is is the most popular guy on this nuggets one of the most popular guys in this nugget's roster. And yeah. the same kind of thing kind of applies to other players who never see that. It's like uh RJ Hampton you know, the great unknown or um, uh, uh, what's his name? Who hit the long shot shot last night um, at the end. Uh, god.
0: Slip of the top there. No. <laughs> That's <from insane> <laughs> uh, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea.
1: Oh, uh, uh, Howard, Marcus Howard, Howard. Marcus Howard. Yeah. Oh, my god! See, see age. This is, this is age. This is, this is old. You're hearing it right now. Um, I, could, uh, I do that on my podcast, by the way. I mean, I will, I will have a brain fart, and I will leave it in there because oh, yeah. I figure I, I think I people need to out. know who I am. Yeah, There's no
0: way I'm cutting this out. <laughs> you, you don't get that luxury.
1: <laughs> you know, and and Jokic kind of makes it makes everything stitched together, which is why I kind of wish that Malone would not do this entire first quarter shift that he's been doing. That's a very '90s thing, by the way. That is a very 90s thing. Uh, Patrick Ewing used to play the entire first quarter and then the first two minutes of the second quarter. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) It's just, it's a very 90s thing to do. 14 straight
0: minutes. That's just like, that's wow. That's weird. (laughs) I mean, different time. Don't get me wrong. But like, no, I I actually kind of like what Malone does because he'll, he'll leave Jokic in. And by the time he's out there for the last two minutes of the quarter, uh, he is usually helping out uh, Faku Campaso, Monte Morris, uh, Michael Porter Jr. and Michael Green in this case, and and helping them win the end of the quarter. Because that's been a it's been a problem for the Nuggets in a lot of cases, where the moment he goes out when when he does leave, then then the Nuggets will lose a quarter and go on a, a 7-0 reverse run where where, where they, they start putting themselves in a hole. So I, I I tend to see Malone's thinking in something like that, but I, I do understand, like, hey, you, you want to get him some time with that bench unit to prop it up a little bit. Well,
1: look, look, this is what I want want him to do. I just, for, for some reason, I think he should be kind of going in and out, right? And mm-hmm. doing, you know, seven minutes, take him out, put him in back in a couple minutes later. Kind of, Rick Carlisle does that. Rick Carlisle, in fact, used to do that with Dirk Nowitzki. Dirk Nowitzki used to like go out, play two minutes, come back out, right, go back out, play play four minutes, come back out. You know that sort of thing. I guess you don't have to be that schizophrenic, like uh, like uh, Carlisle <laughs> was, but uh, you know something like that to where you know he's everyone is getting the love basically of of Jokic. I think it needs right. to be spread around, um, and, and I think it's, you know people have talked about, and I said this on my last podcast about. Uh, incorporating um, Mike Porter Jr. into the offensive flow of the Nuggets. I made the point where I don't think it matters because all that needs to happen is Nicole Jokic just needs to look for him. That's it. It's it's, I, I think that it's, I think what I've decided and what I've seen is that he's so talented to do it on his own. It's kind of like Kevin Durant with the uh, Golden State Warriors where right. his offense kind of existed on its own plane well, I think they're going to have to do the same thing with the Nuggets because I think trying to incorporate him into the Jokic offense is actually stifling him a bit, um, and it's not letting him develop. I think he needs to just be able to work. You know, he can't be freestyling, but if he has his his own thing, I think it'll work just fine because you can do multiple different kinds of offenses in the NBA.
0: Agreed. Uh, let's, let's hold that thought. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to draw some interesting comparisons between Denver's big three and an old big three that, uh, that uh, Jeff Morton might be a little bit familiar with. Uh, we'll be right back.
1: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them.
0: back, Denver Stiff show, Ryan Blackburn here, joined, of course, by the OG Stiff himself, the King of Thornton himself, Jeff Morton. Uh, Jeff, you were just making the point that Michael Porter Jr., it might not be in the best interest of the team to incorporate him into the Jokic offense, into, into the style that the Jokic plays with other players, where it's, it's more egalitarian, where he's cutting off ball. He's making complex reads. He's moving, cutting, uh, doing, doing things to free up easy points consistently. I tend to agree with that. Michael Border's is really good at the hard stuff and and like you, you want to, you want to get him doing what he's, what he's best at. And and that really is what he's best at is, is hitting those uh, open, sometimes contested jumpers, uh, making the tough plays, uh, just kind of earning free points for a team that don't necessarily exist in the normal plane of a Jokic offense. Uh, what what do you think about, what do you think about that concept? First of all, of, of changing the offense and drastically changing things to kind of meet Michael Porter jr's needs.
1: I don't think there needs to be a change. I I, I think I think where people miss things, and I, I I refer to a lot of different people I've seen who's talked about how it's almost like in the alien hand syndrome. You know, it's just it, it's a part of your body that's that's like not operating within the rest of your body. And I right. get it. I get it because Jokic, there's two offenses: the Murray Jokic offense, and then there's the Jokic offense. Um, there needs to be. Michael Porter Junior offense, okay. which exists with Michael Porter Jr. Um, Michael Porter junior's role when if is within the quote nuggets offense is to space. That's it. but yeah. when he when he is cooking, he could do it himself. And that's the interesting thing that I've seen, which is why people are having a hard time adjusting, at least in my view. Adjusting to Michael Porter Jr. and and what he does, he is so good at the individual stuff that we're not used to it. We're used to Gary being Gary Harris being really dependent on Nikola Jokic. We're used to Will Barton really working with, well with Nikola Jokic. These are guys who are not necessarily, and which is why probably Will Barton's not on the bench, uh, who work well within the Jokic construct. The difference with Michael Porter Jr. is he can get his own offense basically in any kind of given situation. He is such a, an elite shooter and such an athletic player. I don't know if you uh, noticed uh, in the last game, um, Monty Morris threw a pass to uh, Michael Porter Jr. I think it was in the second quarter or maybe the first quarter. Um that Porter just grabbed with one hand and brought it down, had complete control of it and brought it up to the basket almost in one motion. Mm-hmm. There's not a single player on the Nuggets roster who can do that. Not one.
0: He does such is, oh. absurd things all the yeah. time. And and yeah. it it's with plays like that, it's with the the incredible rebounds that he can grab sometimes. Like there, there's one that stands out against DeAndre Ayton uh in the suns when he was helping close that game out uh he goes up and boxes out deandre Ayton with a with a seven footer a big seven footer on his back and just just easily grabs the rebound skies over him and grabs it with one hand and and just just snatches it uh he he has that pull up three in transition where perfectly balanced always like kind of running into it and like full speed and doesn't just kind of saunters on into it and and immediately drains it for for nothing but net or or the back iron uh, and down Uh, you mentioned the role that he plays and I I wanted to pull up this number so so I had it on reference Uh, his usage rate when he's on the floor with Jamal Murray with Nikola Jokic is 18.7 average is about 18 for a normal player but everybody on the floor if, if they were equal then it would be 20 uh, so he's actually going below what is what is generally assumed to be an equal share. When he's not on the floor with either of those guys, it's up to 24.3. Mm-hmm. There's a reason for that. There's a reason that he's able to freestyle a little bit more, that he's able to kind of figure things out. And you know what? It kind of works because his true shooting with Murray and Jokic on the floor is 61. True shooting with them off the floor, 74. Like, wow. it's a- Unbelievable what he's doing on such a high usage right now. And he's in such a great zone that I, I tend to think that Denver is, is in a position where they have such a luxury with him on the floor, but also can use him off the floor that I would like, like, like I said, in the first segment, I would stagger his minutes so that he is starting. But he's also coming off the bench. There's also time for the Porter offense. There's also time for other players on the floor to get him involved and get him going and put him on a, a personal 10-0 run or something like that that really changes the complexion of a game.
1: You know, I said this a, a couple of months ago. Um, the person who's important in this equation is not Michael Malone. It's, it's uh, Nikola Jokic. Right, Nikola Jokic, it's up to him to make it work. Um, and if he can't, then I think I'm going to just go out and say it. That's on Nikola Jokic. I agree. Um, Like
0: when you have somebody that talented, two players that are incredibly talented, that want things to go the right way, that want the team to succeed and have the talent to do so with just themselves, it is on Nikola Jokic to get him involved.
1: Because he handles the ball so much. It, 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 It would be the same if this was, uh, Andre Miller. Okay, and he was out there, and he would tell uh, Michael Porter Jr., I want you to go out there, and I want you to get a lob. And then he would just, <laughs> you know, do that. that that's, yeah. that's, but that would be on Andre Miller. It's on the person who handles the ball the most to involve the people on the offense. Now, the problem is Jokic is used to a set of things that he does. Got to have cutters. Got to have uh, guys who, who do the dribbled handoff. Uh, Got to do have the Murray pick and roll. There are things that he is used to. What Michael Porter Jr. provides is completely alien to Nikola Jokic. Completely right. alien to him. And you can tell within the context of, of Jokic, Murray, Porter. When it's just Jokic and, and Porter, he figures it out. There's there's some weird thing with the three of them, and I, I, I've yet to figure out why it doesn't work. And I think some of it has to do with, you know, uh, Mike tends to not involve himself when Jamal handles the ball a lot. Um, right. And I think that, that is a Michael, that's a Michael Mike problem. Um, but there's also kind of uh, Jamal gets caught up in the Jokic-Murray offense, and it just kind of sticks with those guys. There's issues right there, and I think when you remove it, I mean Jamal. I think Jamal and uh, uh, Porter have a good rating together, and I think Jokic and, and Porter have good rating together. The three of them, as you pointed out, it's not as doesn't work as well. It's
0: just fascinating, and like I think everybody has to sacrifice in in certain ways when they're all on the floor. But what that says to me is that, despite the fact that they have to sacrifice, the team as a whole has still been pretty good. It's on it, a mm-hmm. lot of it is on the back of this this recent run where they've had, they've had some success against the Suns. They had some success with all three against the the Mavericks. Although most of the Mavericks game was with either Murray and Jokic or Porter and Jokic, mm-hmm. um, and they they've had some good success against the Miami Heat over this last game. Uh, there was one play in particular that I'm thinking of where it really broke the backs of the Miami Heat, where they start to run it. They're running this two-three zone, this matchup zone, uh, and and Murray and Porter are on either are on either wing, kind of at the slot, and they're passing the ball back and forth. They're moving the defense around. Porter finally gets the ball. Jokic comes up to the nail and kind of, or to the elbow and kind of uh, shifts a little bit. Porter gets the ball to him because he's 6'10", and there's no way that the defender in front of him can guard that pass. Jokic grabs the ball in the middle of the paint, and everybody backs away from Jokic because they're so freaking scared of him passing the ball. Mm -hmm. There are ways for this thing to work. There are ways for the Nuggets to get everybody involved, and I tend to think that a lot of it is going to divert away from the Murray-Jokic offense when things are out there. And a lot of it is going to involve Michael Porter being had given the, given the ability and the luxury to make some passes when he's on the floor, when he's, when he's out there with Murray and Jokic, give him some decision-making power. And I do think that he will change his game, evolve his game and be pretty good.
1: You know, I'm what I'm liking. And then some, there's some people out there who don't like this, but I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving his above the break free threes that he's been shooting the last couple of games. Right. Um, I, what I like about that is like, first of all, it takes some fucking balls to do that. <laughs> it really does.
0: And he did it multiple times to varying <laughs> results. <laughs>
1: and you see him looking behind him. You know, I love I love the the looking both ways behind him and to, to make yeah. sure there's people not, but not ride him. And then he shoots it. And to the, it's to the point now with Porter where I'm surprised it doesn't go in sometimes. Because that's how confident he is. It's just like it's it's great to have guys out there who exude confidence like that, right? It's just oh, yeah. it's, it's just infectious. It's so fun.
0: Like it really mm-hmm. is just a fun energy that you get from watching a player like that who is who's loading up to make a three. It really it really does remind me of uh three players in particular, all shooters. Steph Curry, right, Clay Thompson, and Kyle Corver. Yeah. Right. All three of those guys, when they get on their runs, when they get hot, and when you start to see them looking around and and just hustling to get to the ball, there was that one play against Dallas where he ran clear across the court to come get the ball because he was so hot and needed to make a shot. And it was so funny to to see that because it completely broke from what the what from what the Nuggets were supposed to run. But well, everybody Barton. understood that in that in that moment they yeah. had to get the ball to Porter.
1: Barton waited for him. And that's the, that, that, was the, that was the nice thing to see about it. It's like, oh, my God, Barton sees it. He knows it. And I think Barton knows that – I mean, I think Barton knows deep down that Porter probably should be starting. But obviously that's a different scenario. Um, right. But there is a there, – there's, there's an acknowledgment that when a guy like Porter's got it, you just got to keep feeding him because he'll carry it. I'll, I'll Well, here's a good example. The Nuggets yesterday, uh, yesterday against the, the Heat were struggling offensively. And the only guy who pulled them out of it was Porter. Uh, he hit, like, I think three threes in that stretch there. Then I think the last three gave him 17 points. Right. And it suddenly, like, it it, it pulled them out of their doldrums. I'll be honest with you, um, other than Jamal, and that sometimes it's not consistent with Jamal, there's no one else in this roster who's going to do that. He, he yeah, just, he just
0: he, I, I will say that Jokic sometimes when when he gets it going, when he gets into one of those rhythms, like right. there was there's there's some times when he's on the block and when he like sometimes it's it's worked into it with passing as well. But like when he gets on that that roll, uh creates 10 straight points for the team. Like I I feel it that way too. But you're right, it's like a, a personal run, a personal 10-0 run, a personal Willingness to take those shots and just drag a team out of the abyss. I do think that there is something to that for sure. Like there's, it's just so, so level, Mm -hmm. so much level of talent in those three together that I think that you just have to try and make this
1: thing work. Well, you know, who else is like that? I do. And, uh, and I I remember when he came, when he came off the bench in Oklahoma City. He was like that. He came off the bench, and he was like uh, uh, offensive. And well, James Harden handled the ball in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City a lot more than Porter does. Mm-hmm. But um, he, but he was the guy that came in. It was like, okay, here's another guy who's just so dynamic offensively that you just that's that's what made that Oklahoma was. That, that's why it's so surprising they only went to one finals. I'll, I'll just put it to you that way.
0: It was fascinating, and so I, I. I had heard you made this comparison in the past. We've actually talked about it before uh, off air. And and I wanted to dig into it a little bit more. So some of the mm-hmm. interesting comparisons that I found, you just look at the players. Durant and Jokic, they were the first. They're the most talented. They're the drivers of, of success around the organization. They are the, the firstborn child. Uh, Westbrook and Murray, they're the second. They're the emotional heartbeat of the team. They're the X factor that, that really first gets the team over the top and they might be the least talented of the three. Mm -hmm. And then there's James Harden and Michael Porter jr. Who are the last to the bowl. They're possibly more talented than the ones before them and Westbrook and Murray, but they, they haven't really been fully incorporated into things. Uh, Michael Porter's coming off the bench. James Harden came off the bench and, and Sixth man of the year. That's how talented and good he was at what he did.
1: Mm-hmm. There were
0: pitfalls though and 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 they didn't necessarily all work together and so i just i just found that that like just looking at the players and and drawing comparisons between the actual players on these things was just so fascinating because a couple small markets uh in the same division, the northwest division which probably gets the least public love of any division in the nba it really is fascinating to see how how clear and crystal those teams are or and their big threes are together.
1: Well, it's interesting to me in a sense that um, it, it it could be a bad sign for the Nuggets' future, but and and but as of right now, it would be criminal if they're not able to maximize it the way that Oklahoma City was back then. Um, one of the reasons they had Harden coming off the bench was he came in in 2009 I think nine, mm-hmm. uh, was his rookie year he was a couple of years younger than Durant, one year younger than Westbrook. And the way they all came into the league mean, meant that the extensions that they signed were all, it would have been better if they were all rookies at the same year because you could have said, okay, look, if you guys want to stay together, we're going to have to make this work. And I think guys would be more willing to compromise that. But having that kind of thing staggered, really may put Oklahoma City in a bad position. Plus, they kind of uh, – it, it wasn't sustainable having Harden come off the bench. Uh, no one I – th- I, I think everyone knew that Harden was special, even though he had a horrible finals uh, against the Miami Heat.
0: It was bad. Um, I looked it up. (laughs) Twelve points per game. (laughs) Twelve points per game and shot 37% from the field. Like that, that is gonna leave a bad taste in everybody's mouth for sure. Oh
1: yeah. Oh yeah. It was it was terrible. That's my memory of it. And there was there was that kind of lingering thing. And then when it came to pay him, they said, we can't really give you a max extension here. So yeah, we'll we'll kind of throw in some incentives to kind of make it up, but it's kind of like at, at that point the player knows that you're not using your entire ass; it's just your whole, your half ass there. So they're, right. they 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 are able to understand that what's going on, and that it, it, things broke down, and then Presty suddenly traded him. Not saying that this is in their Nuggets future, but I'm saying that when you have three starting caliber star players. It's a delicate balance. The heat were able to make it worse work because Wade and Bosch sacrificed tremendously to make it. Bosch, work. Bosch
0: sacrificed a lot. Like, like right. his, his overall numbers going from Toronto to kind of that, that second to last of last year on the heat, just drastically different, just a completely different looking player, but
1: mm-hmm. they made
0: it work. And and you you never want right. to be the the one to sacrifice in that situation. So it, it's really tough for a young player to be the one to have to sacrifice because they're still trying to figure it out. A lot of these things are still tied to money as you say. Mm-hmm. All of these guys, one of the one of the biggest biggest reason why they broke apart was because they were too talented together. They couldn't grow to their full potential at the same time because they all needed the ball in their hands. They all needed to develop as a point guard. All of those guys, like they—they they have point guard tendencies at this point. It's like it's pretty insane that the the way that they've grown apart
1: from each other. Now you see in Brooklyn how well Harden and Durant work well work together. Right. I mean, they're still working out the kinks. Uh, it's, I mean, I don't know how the Kyrie Irving thing is going to work with it, but that's a different, completely different subject. But the um, Durant. And actually, always worked well together. Um, That was one of the big things in uh, Oklahoma City. Was Harden would come in, Durant would be in there, and those and they would just tear up, tear up the opposing team. It was insane. One of the best drafting streaks I've ever seen in my life was Sam Presti between 2007 and 2009. Because also you got to keep in mind there they also had Serge Ibaka, right. And they had, you know, now if you if if you want to get into the weeds here, and I fully can, if you if people aren't going to check out of your podcast, and I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> um, they what happened was, and this is the sequence of events in the 2008 offseason, I believe they extended Serge Ibaka first. Yes, and this is the year after the lockout. Yes. Um, so each team had an amnesty clause coming off that finals. Uh, they needed to keep Harden. They needed to either a go into the tax uh, just a little bit because a couple years later that uh, cap was going to explode because of the new TV contract. And it wouldn't matter. Of course, you can't see into the future. Right. I digress. Um they extended Serge Ibaka first. Uh, I think he got forty, four years, forty. I think something around that.
0: Yeah, he, he and he was an essential part of that team, kind of, but yeah. but more of their their Jeremy Grant than their James Harden.
1: Like, right. Right. So they extended him first, and then there this they had this long and drawn out contract negotiation with James Harden. They refused to amnesty Kendrick Perkins. Right which made zero sense. It just, it didn't make sense then. doesn't make sense now. I agree. Kendrick, per- Kendrick Perkins was by that point over the hill anyway. So there was nothing they, they did there that made sense. They just were not willing to go into the tax. Now there was a lot of different issues kind of floating around. James Harden is a known strip club inhabitant, you know, and, sure. uh, you know, there's some other issues that were floating around there, which I won't get into. But just in pure basketball sense, they made a mistake because they what ended up happening is because they refused to, re, uh, to amnesty. Kendrick Perkins is they ended up lowballing Harden, which just made things that much worse. And then they ended yeah. up having to trade him like two days before the season started. It was insane. I've never seen any trade like that. <laughs> before it was NBA. nuts
0: it was nuts i do i do remember it i i was just really starting to get into the nba at that point and and starting to see just how much of a mistake that they made by by selling him for for 50 cents on the dollar 70 cents on the oh. dollar whatever you want to call it uh the package that they got back kevin martin jeremy lamb uh the 12th overall pick which became steven adams like you know that was solid players but like there's just so much of a difference between having three solid players or two and a half at that point and a superstar in James Harden, who's providing incredible numbers off the bench would have been even better had he been starting, but they just never went that route.
1: Mm -hmm. And you don't want that situation here in Denver. And I don't think it will come to that. Tim Connolly is, is a fair guy. Um, and that don't think it'll come to that situation, but one of the reasons they ended up offering pardon, that kind of low ballish contract was he was coming off the bench mm-hmm. and you notice something, players hate that designation, particularly when it comes to getting paid. Right. And I've been saying this on Twitter for several days now, um, Michael Porter Jr. in his situation this year is fine for this year completely. Um, kind of,
0: I, I I want to push back on that a little bit because hmm. it's, it's, it is his second year, but it's the third year of his contract. And right. once they reach the end of this year, they're going to have to be, they're going to be in a position where he is in uh, extension zone where, where they can, they have the window once the summer starts or the off season starts to extend him And they should be offering him a five-year max contract. That is what they should be doing with that money. And, And he should accept that because there is no more money that he could earn anywhere else. This is the prime window for him to earn the maximum money possible. And if they refuse to give him that money, if they decide to give him a lower offer, if they say, hey, you did come off the bench, so we're only going to give you 120 million as opposed as opposed to 170 million, which I think that they could, that is a big difference. And it really just shows a, a lack of willingness to pay, a, a lack of belief. And and frankly, it's it's insulting in, in my opinion.
1: I don't and here here's my firm belief. I don't think it'll come to that. Because I think the Nuggets have shown that they, they, they are committed to Michael Borginia, Um based on the fact that he was untouchable this off season. Right. Um, uh, that they, they have shown that that is part, he is going to be part of their future. It is up to them. Kind of like I said before, it's up to Jokic to make the Porter thing work on offense. It's up to the Nuggets to make it work uh, when he's eligible because right. it's going to take some finessing. It's going to take probably him not taking the full thing, but it also is going to, they have tried to trade Gary Harris and what it seems to be. If you really listen to the rumors, like a million times at this point, <laughs>
0: Right. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's kind of insane. Like it, it certainly feels like they know what's coming and, and they're trying to get out from under that as, as soon as they possibly can.
1: Right. And he's eligible. I mean, you can work. I mean, he's eligible for early extension. What was it this off season?
0: Uh, it, Yeah. It'll be this coming off season after, after yeah. these playoffs.
1: Um, Obviously if he shows out big time, he's going to, he's in for the big payday anyway, regardless of whether he's coming off the bench or not. Um, sure. because if the Nuggets say, well, no, this guy's not going to be a bench guy, uh, they could just tell him that. And, you know, obviously that that's going to uh, kind of paper over all that, whatever issue is there. I don't have a big issue personally with my, with Porter coming off the bench in this fashion. You know, Michael Malone said what talked about finishing games as opposed to starting games and stuff like that. Right all he's doing is aping george carl who used to say it's not who starts it who who finishes which is which is all well and good but um, they pay bench players differently than they do starting players so yeah that, that is where that, that that ends now for a coach that may apply but for a player is looking for his future he's going to be saying well you guys you know you call you say that there's six starters on this team and yet you know, when it comes to this, you're saying like, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, just some sort of six man, then there's a problem. Like I said, I don't think, I don't anticipate that happening with the nuggets, but it is going, it, it creates an interesting dynamic. I think Michael, from what I've seen, Mike is got a good head on his shoulders. As far as this goes, he said he just wants to fit in, right. which is something that, uh, well, I, I was hard. I was hardened to see. Um his time is coming fast, and the more that Will Barton has 10-point first quarters and then not scoring the rest of the game, you're going to hear more and more of the cue and cry to start Michael Porter Jr. And I just that's think that then, it's something that's when this thing's gonna come up.
0: I just think that it's something that it's it's going to take some time for those three to figure it out, for Murray, Porter, and Jokic to figure out whether it's a pecking order, whether it's just the style of play, whether it's how do we incorporate sets that are more than just Michael Porter Jr. spotting up. Like I think there are ways that they they have to work through those issues, and Mm -hmm. until they start him, and until they they firmly place him back into that starting lineup and that starting group, which he has earned, I think, that it's going to be really tough to – to make all of those things happen that ultimately lead to a guy wanting to stay. If, right. if you don't, if you don't go the distance, if you don't go the extra mile in order to incorporate everybody, then it's very possible in Michael Porter jr's eyes that, Hey, I, I don't want to deal with being a third option when I could go be a first option, literally anywhere else. There, there's, right. there are a lot of different places that he could go over the course of the next 10 years and probably like average 30 a game. And, and it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if, if he did that anywhere else, but he could do that in Denver or at least somewhere close to that while being a title winner. I firmly believe that this group could win a title and do what that OKC Big Three could not.
1: In a sense, Porter, Porter kind of has the. Unf- I, would, I, I hate saying it's unfortunate because it's both fortunate and unfortunate, but he didn't have the luxury of getting that Gary Harris treatment. And by that, I mean, Michael Malone coming in saying, you know, we're, we're not yanking you around like Brian Shaw did. You can play even though you're missing shots. Mm-hmm. You, are, you are out there. We're going to live with the mistakes, right? Um, he's unfortunate for him that he hasn't been able to grow through that way because this is a good team. And that frustration with that, I, I completely understand because it's it is hard. It is hard to not have that trajectory of growth when you know that you're that kind of like like say the Devin Booker thing. You know, you weren't able to just dominate a team on a shots on a team for four years. No. Um, it is. It's just you know. That's that's Michael Porter Jr. didn't have that situation. He had a situation to where he had to be better, which is going to benefit him in the long run, but it hurts him right now. And yeah,
0: and and you know what? We may we might look at this situation in six months and think, man, we were we were really making much to do about nothing because they inserted Michael Porter Jr. three games after that, and and then ran him to a a twenty two point ten rebound season. And another Western Conference Finals appearance, or or something like that, where things just things just tend to work out, and they tend they tend to figure out when you have such talented pieces. I think Denver has done a great job of building a roster where there are a lot of pieces that will fit next to these guys. Uh, whether it's it's Monte Morris or Jamichael Green, or uh, we'll we'll see on guys like Gary Harris and Will Barton. I think that we we discussed Paul Millsap like that. That's probably Uh, something that they have to discuss. But guys like Dozier, R.J. Hampton, Bull Bulls, Iqnaji, they they need some other people to step up and and really fill that void around those three guys. And I think that there there will be a pecking order that is established. It will include Michael Porter Jr. in the starting lineup. It's just a matter of when, not if. I just don't know when.
1: Well, and low-key, as the kids would say, um, (laughs) one of the... (laughs) One of the good things in a, in a bad way is that P.J. Dozier has that unfortunate hamstring injury, which I feel bad for the guy. Hamstring injuries suck. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to last forever. Like, like That, that yes. could be
0: a really nagging thing that, that Denver's in trouble for.
1: And Dozier's not there, so there's one less guy who's potentially taking up minutes. Right. And it's forced Malone to, to pl- probably play Porter more than he wants to. And I think that's actually helping him because I think we you saw at the end of the Miami game, he turned up his defense and was like, I think, what, did he have four steals? in Four steals, in career high. Yeah, four steals. And a couple of them were great steals. I mean, just mm-hmm. like quick hands, knew where the ball was. And then he took the ball up the court. I think one of them led to one of his above the break threes. He's just, that has actually in a weird way kind of benefited him kind of being in these clutch situations where he can, you know, improve his defense because he still has issues. I mean, one of my, one of my conclusions of this is that I it, the offense will take care of itself with him because Jokic will eventually get used to him. Um, he just needs to get better awareness on defense because what that is, his biggest crutch is that he is not aware and you see, you saw in the Miami game, there's one, there was, there's one rotation in the uh, third quarter. He completely missed just completely missed it. And it led to a, just an open dunk and that, that I think cut the lead to like nine or something like that. And it just, it just, it was bad. Yeah. But there again, he made up for it by having like, I think, three three steals down the stretch and just playing with more effort. He just needs to be more aware. And if he gets more aware, I think he'll be just gravy.
0: It's going to be interesting, man. I'm, I'm really looking forward to covering this whole thing and, and seeing just the development of this of this narrative, of, of this storyline, because it is so fascinating. Right. It's, this is the most talented Nuggets team of all time. Like I, I, I tend to believe that just given given what Jokic continues to do, what Michael Porter Jr. has shown, what Jamal Murray has shown, there there are certain ways that this team could continue to grow and be better than anybody else. And, and I, I I know that you you might take exception to that as the as the resident Nuggets historian, but uh, oh. I, I
1: truly do believe that this is. Let me think the most talented Uh, You could be, you could be right. Um, The 75 to 78 nuggets had three hall of fame players and a hall of fame coach. Um, I think it was a different era. So it's a different kind of emphasis. Um, But as far as pure, I wouldn't even call this team athletic. I mean, you're, they're led by a, a very unathletic center. So yeah,
0: that definitely uh, doesn't help
1: things. <laughs> but it's it's quite interesting. They're talented in a different way because because basketball is played completely differently. That's why I hate comparing errors. It's just good. I was actually watching the the nineteen seventy six ABA finals today. Yes, I was watching the nineteen seventy
0: six. Just ABA. just cause, just cause. Yeah, good, good,
1: good on you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking. I was thinking. Oh my. They had the three-point line because it was the ABA, but they, the game was played completely differently. It was it – was, everything was still close to the basket and skills were – there was different skills that were emphasized. And that's – I keep thinking about that. Thinking like, well, there's just – you can't – that's why I hate comparing errors because it's so hard because they played it so differently back then. They, they just yeah. value different things. However, to make a long story short, you could be right and I, my thoughts are constantly evolving on this and you never know by the end of the year i may say i may be agreeing with you that this is their most talented team
0: it's kind of nuts like I, I i wouldn't have ever thought that but i i have really enjoyed this this team i've enjoyed covering this team the way that they have recovered over that that brief uh, blip has been like is it's exciting to see what this team can do uh, you hope that they can do it all together. You hope that they don't—they don't sell out and trade for James Harden or Bradley Beal. Uh, Bradley Beal would be fine. James Harden would not. It's like it's just—it's just more fun to root for the guys that that you drafted. And that's so unique about this team, about the OKC Big Three. When you draft all of these guys, and they're so talented, all at the same time, they're so young, they're growing together. The—the the possibilities just feel endless.
1: Well, I'll—I'll. I'll, I'll, I'll... Just not to not to extend your podcast out anymore, but I, I just throw this out there. How pissed would people be if the Nuggets traded for James Harden and had to give up Michael Porter Jr. And you saw Michael Porter Jr., the glimpses you're seeing right now of someone who could be elite, how pissed would Nuggets fans be when James Harden eventually just bolted?
0: I, I would have been pissed the moment they did it. <laughs> because yeah. I it's it's not just about winning the championship like I think that that's that's what has really set this group apart for me that despite the fact that the Nuggets have never won a championship it's not about winning the championship that I think is the most valuable thing and Nuggets fans have really grown to realize that I hope and then maybe everybody's priorities could be different but like it's a it's so much of it is about the journey and and where they came from not necessarily where they're going and, and they'll eventually get there. Like if they continue to do the right things, this is the Jokic principle that you just, you just do the right thing every single day and continue to grind, continue to make things better, continue to work towards it. And some, somehow, some way at some point in the future, you're going to find yourself in an NBA finals with this group. Hopefully I'm looking forward. To it. That'll do it for this episode of the Denver stiff show. Make sure to tune in to the CSG podcast, when Jeff Morton consistently releases his episodes, ranging from sports, politics, and especially Nuggets coverage in general, going to be a lot of fun. You do music too, like that's it's always great. Music so, and movies, music yeah. and movies. You, you're <laughs> just a you are a Renaissance man, if I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. That's that's awesome, man. <laughs> um, a true a true uh, auteur. Yeah. <laughs> Love you, Jeff. I'll talk to you soon.
1: Anyway.